This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in listener land, welcome to episode 50 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. I can't believe it's been 50 episodes already, but we're back. What's going on, Steve-O? Hey, Tucker. Good to be back on the show. It's a half century of shows. Seems like just yesterday we started, but here we are. 50 deep, and we got a really, really good show this week. But before we talk about who we've got on, what's been going on with you over the past week? It's been a busy week. I was actually out of town a lot of last week. I think I mentioned to you, I traveled over to Bend. You know, we did our show on Bend here not too long ago, and I, I didn't really bring this up on the show, but we at PPG are looking to make a pretty good expansion into Bend ourselves. I heard um, whisperings, but I, I now... Yeah, yeah. Our presence has been pretty quiet. We have a little executive suite there with a couple agents. In the last month, we've hired about four more, and we're talking to another office that has about 20 that we might do a merge with. We also have another, gosh, half dozen to dozen people that are talking. So we feel like the momentum's starting to build there. I was over there. We were looking at some office space that's right there in the downtown area. It's kind of right on the edge of the downtown area. I mean, it's it's two blocks from the heart of downtown. But the problem with Ben's downtown is they do have some parking issues. And so we're... We think this is a pretty nice space and that it's right on the edge. Just, I mean, again, a two block walk from everything, yet there's some better parking situations going on. And it's a newer building, Class A, which is what we, we like to go into. So that's exciting. We've got that coming on. I just have to say, like you've said before and like we said on our show, I mean, that is just a cool town. It really is that that downtown. We saw the old mill district which was this was my first time seeing that and that's just a really really cool area so if i have to do a lot of trips over there for recruiting purposes or to get the new branch going i don't think i'm going to be kicking and screaming on the personal side you know we had a sale fail last week and it kind of really got me thinking you know fail sales are probably one of the uglier parts of our business in regards to how you know you you do all that work and and the client is so the seller especially and possibly both are so emotionally attached to the transaction that it really is heart-wrenching but this one added a new element of challenge in that, you know, we had talked to the lender and he said, oh, everything's great. And on the listing side, you don't really control the lender. I mean, there's no mechanism to say, hey, you got to go use this lender. So you really are at the mercy of the buyer's agent's lender. And in this case, it wasn't even the buyer's agent's lender. I think it was a great buyer's agent, but she said she couldn't get him to go with her lender. They went with one they chose. We reached out to that lender. He gave us It'll all the warm- nameless, right? On for the sake of the show. <laughs> I don't even know if he's local. So yeah, I I, I don't even think he's somebody that we could uh, nail to a tree if we wanted to. <laughs> but so they go with this lender. We get all the warm fuzzies from him. We get a repair addendum. We do these repairs, and this is where this just goes from you know a bad story to a horrific story. We do all these repairs. And then you have the sale fail and then the lender says, oh, there's something on the credit that we can't work through and we're so sorry about this. So what it got me thinking about, you know, I think there's a discussion here for sure. 
was when you have situations like this where the buyer's asking for repairs, a credit is clean. And, and, and Joe Fastola talked about this. I mean, if we had been giving a credit, you know, no harm, no foul, no credit given and everything's back to square. But when they ask you to do repairs and you go in with a, you know, the leap of faith that, okay, we're going to do these repairs on the, the hope and belief that you've signed off on this house and are going to close on it. And then they no longer can close on it. You you leave yourself vulnerable and you leave your seller vulnerable in the sense that <laughs> there's no scenario the next buyer doesn't ask for a whole new set of repairs. So you've basically been double dipped on. You you did items one, two, three, four, five for these guys. Now the, the seller's out that money. Next buyer's just going to ask for six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So it's just a really bad situation. So it got me thinking, and and I don't know all the answers and logistics. I don't even, I ha, I don't see this very much, but I wonder if when we are in that process, if it's fair for sellers to request when the buyer is asking for specific repairs be done, that either there's a release of earnest money or a partial release, even if it's not dollar for dollar. You know, if someone's asking for five thousand repairs. Maybe you ask for 2,500 earnest money release because in theory, you are getting $5,000 of improvements to your house, even though the next buyer is probably going to want a different 5,000, but it did help your house to some extent. So it just got me thinking, I was like, man, we did everything right from our vantage point. We talked to the lender. He told us everything that we wanted to hear. And then, so we don't, as I'm analyzing this, I'm trying to think, what could we do differently next time? That's the only thing I can keep coming back to is maybe on transactions like that, there needs to be some sort of release of earnest money. I don't know. I think it's a great discussion. It's one, you know, I think I want to chat with some other people and and some of my team and just see if maybe that's a good practice moving forward. How's your week been, Tucker? Well, it's funny you brought that up because, um, you know, that's a big thing for us. We, uh, you know, Chris, who works in the office here, who lists all our projects through TTM Realty, he's our listing agent, of course. I have him do a pretty strong interrogation, we'll call it, of the loan officer. And since, you know, you were in the mortgage game, I was in the mortgage game, Chris was in the mortgage game. Usually if we have a conversation with somebody, we can cut the crap pretty quick, right? I mean, we... It takes about two minutes to get a litmus test on somebody and determine whether or not they're competent or not. That's just the way it works. And so I make it a you know a must that he has a conversation, not only a pre-approval order, but a conversation with the uh, loan officer prior to us ever accepting the offer. And you know, like you said, you can only hedge your bets so much, right? I mean, somebody can tell you everything you want to hear until they tell you what you don't want to hear, and that does happen mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. But we we had a recent situation, and and uh, we're just finishing our um, you know multi-million dollar uh, house on Nos Road which is pending and it's it's turned out absolutely amazing on a side note. But the buyers are moving up here from San Francisco. And originally they were hooked up with an out-of-state lender as kind of a relocation package to utilize them for the lending. And we talked to this guy one time and I won't name the company or the name just because it just doesn't, it doesn't mean anything here. But, you know, I talked to him for about 10 seconds and I said immediately to the buyer's agent, I said, this guy's incompetent. We do not want to use this person. And you know, at that point, nobody wanted to listen to me. They thought I was being paranoid and just kind of a dick. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, two months later, it turns out he's completely, you know, incompetent and they dumped him at my request at that point. But now it was a little more convincing, right? It wasn't just me saying, Hey, this guy sucks. You need to go find somebody else. He had done some things that made himself look like he sucked. And so we were able to dump him and I actually hooked him up with a buddy of mine, Matt, who runs one of the uh, Chase Bank mortgage branches here in town. And it's been fantastic. He actually got the appraisal done out there within a week and it'll be back 
back. He went out yesterday. It'll be back in two more days and it's a jumbo appraisal. It's so it's been a great experience, but yeah, you know, when you have buyers that go to people that you don't trust or that you don't have any trust built with, or the buyer's agent that's bringing a buyer for your listing doesn't have any trust built with, sometimes it's crapshoot. You know, I think that goes back to, you know, it's a little bit of the buyer's agent's responsibility to have a conversation with buyers about these horror stories and these things that happen when people just decide arbitrarily who they want to pick. And obviously we're in an industry they don't want you steering and things like that. But at the same time, not all lenders are created equal. I mean, we we know that as well as anybody. So it's an oh, important gosh, piece. Yeah. And I think it is definitely deserving of a conversation and maybe it would, should be a main topic on uh, our show as we move forward on one of the next episodes. But uh, I, I had a similar experience. Fortunately, we were able to clean up the mess. And, you know, the buyers are A plus buyers. It just was mismanaged. And, you know, A plus buyers will get funding eventually. It's just a matter of who, you know, can close it in a timely manner and do things right. So that's uh, that was probably the biggest thing that's going on with me. We're starting some townhomes, which are awesome. They're in first edition. Uh, we're going vertical today. We're starting framing. So super excited about that. We got them uh, pre-listed on RMLS. They're right in between uh, third and D and first edition. And uh, they're really cool design. We attached them on the short wall. So they'll actually look like single family homes and not row homes. So I think they'll fill the void in the market for that area. We'll be able to price them significantly less than single families, but they'll have all the amenities of most single families. So pretty excited about that. But uh, I don't want to keep our guests waiting any longer because he's been listening to us jabber for long enough already. So why don't you introduce him and uh, let's let's start chatting. Yeah. So we've got a treat for our listeners today. We have on the show with us, Carl Carter. Now, for those of you who don't know, he, a couple things. First of all, he is the son of Beverly Carter, which was a very, very tragic story that rocked the real estate world almost exactly two years ago. In fact, I think Carl just mentioned to us that on Sunday, it would be two years to the day. I remember, I mean, it was, it was when this happened, it was just everywhere and it really, really shook the industry and opened a lot of eyes to processes and, and, and safety practices. Carl is going to be, this is kind of basically a teaser. Today's a couple days before, we always record a, a couple days before we actually release, but this show is going to be released on Thursday, the 22nd of September. Well, on Friday, the 23rd of September, Carl is here in Portland. Lawyer's title is flying him out for two very, very special events. For our listeners that don't know, real Realtor Safety Month is September. September is Realtor Safety Month. And as part of that, Lawyer's Title, who's a very, very valuable partner of Premier Property Group, is holding two events. Carl's going to be here. He's going to give the full version of this presentation. But we're honored to have him on the podcast today. He's going to give us a nice little snippet of what the presentation is going to be about the story of his mom and the lessons that have been learned and he, that he travels the country and uh, shares with others. He was featured on Dateline NBC, by the way. So, Carl, without further ado, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. Yeah, yeah take it from the top. You've done this pr presentation, you know, and, and, and talked about this. We, we thank you for your time and for our hearts go out to you, of course. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about the story and the takeaways. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. I started talking about what happened to mom and raising safety awareness about six months after we lost her. And it's definitely been a journey trying to, to make some good come of such a, a horrible situation. And you know, it's a tough thing because not to tell you a little bit too much about what goes on in my head, but there's that fear that, that you don't want to just get up and, you know, 
target people's emotions. You want to to raise awareness and drive true change. It's something that I, I continually try to refine because it's it's all about getting these realtors back to their families in the afternoons. And I've had a lot of opportunities to to travel and uh, you know great great companies like like lawyers that you know just paid for flights and hotels. And I always joke, you know, there's not a speaker's fee or anything. My speaker's fee is just the therapy that it gives me <laughs> to talk about my sweet mama. And you know what I do whenever whenever I get in front of these these sweet people is just, you know, I, I talk them through the events that led up to that appointment when my mom met the bad guy. And, you know, we talk a lot about what mom did right. And then we break it down so that we can keep it from happening again. And I think that I'm uniquely positioned to be able to do that because there's never a doubt how much I love my mom. And so I can I can speak to some of the things that never come across like victim blaming. But I'll tell you, you know, another thing about as I've traveled and spoken to, to different realtor groups and even other industries, too, is that, you know, statistically in the industry, there aren't just it's not an overwhelming number of people that these crimes have happened, like what happened to my sweet mom. But I tell you, I know that having these conversations is so important because, you know, it's, it's after a presentation that, you know, it's two or three or more people that will come up to me and they just kind of whisper their story to me about, you know, one time I was showing a property, this happened, and I've never told anyone just because I blame myself for putting myself in that position. And, you know, it's just, it's it's hard to hear those things, but it gives me some validation that, that what I'm doing, what I'm trying to do in my mom's name is uh, is good for everyone out there. Sounds like it kind of starts a lot of conversations. I mean, obviously that's the hope, right? But at, you know, it's always gratifying, I guess, when people can come up to you after you speak and say, "Hey, you know, I did this. I shouldn't have done that." It, like you said, it starts a conversation, and yeah, I believe it is Realtor Safety Awareness Month, right? Or all safety, being right. that I'm not a realtor, I think I pronounced it properly. But you know, <laughs> it, it's an important thing for sure. I mean, I remember back in the day, I had a, a female agent working in our office here, and we were looking at a lot of uh, abandoned REO properties. And we started making sure that we weren't sending her to those alone to start with. I mean, that's basic stuff, right? I mean, I'm not uh, rocket science here, but it's definitely something you have to be aware of. And, um, you know, it probably very slightly by part of town and it probably very slightly by how well or how well you don't know whoever it is that may be a potential client for you. So there's, there's a lot of things at play, I'm sure. Yeah, it, it really highlights, you know, a scary component of our business, which is, Every female out there knows the the basics about, you know, never be alone with a stranger. Don't get out of your car, you know, in, in bad situations. They have some basic, a basic compass on how to keep themselves safe. But inherently, as realtors, I mean, we're going to empty houses alone with people. And so th that is the nature of the business. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Carl, I believe I, along the way, shortly after this happened almost two years ago, they interviewed the monster that did this. And he said, they, I think they asked him, and you know this better than I do, I'm sure, and you can speak to it better. But they asked him, why did you, why did you pick her? And he said, she was a, she's a realtor. She meets people at houses alone. D didn't he say something to that effect? Oh, he absolutely did. He absolutely did. And you know, really kind of a step further than that, you know, there's, there's always been that question of why her and the things that we know, of course, we know this business and we know that, you know, mom, of course, mom was successful too. And, and, you know, her picture was in the paper every Sunday and so forth. And while we don't know exactly what initially led them to her, when you couple things like, you know, she's in the paper, she's a beautiful woman, 
And, um, you know, they found on the bad guy's computer that where they had identified where mom lived. And then they searched county records to identify the value of her, the property that she lived in. And they saw the car that she drove. And so they built this scenario that this woman is rich, a broker. She works alone. Let's get her, hold her for ransom and take all the money from her. That was the, the apparent plan then? Absolutely. Wow. Man. And that does go along with we've seen this on the master's group talked about a lot. The perception is out there that real estate brokers have gobs and gobs and gobs of money. I'll be the first to tell you, I know a lot that don't. <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> It's not always true, but the, to the general public, it is a perception. And a lot of that does go back to the car. You know, as most real estate agents, you know, if they make a thousand dollars, they spend a thousand dollars on their car because it's such a, an important part of their persona and, and meeting clients and, 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 you know, looking the part. So that is out there and it, it definitely leaves them up to, to a vulnerability there. Yeah. So let's go into some of the takeaways on this, Carl. Clearly, I don't know that it's possible to get somebody 100% safe out there, but what can what were some of the best practices your mother did employ that others should be using as well? And what are other areas where they, you know, maybe there was lessons to be learned so that those of our listeners out there can be as safe as as is possible. I'm happy to walk you through those. So mom had been working for this couple or, you know, working with them for a couple of weeks. And when they identified that they wanted to see this property, it was in a rural area as a foreclosure, no utilities. Mom did a great thing because it was the, the husband that had asked to see the property. And mom, mom made up a company policy. And I talked to a lot of people about doing that, you know, when it comes to keeping yourself safe, if there's not a policy in place, just make one up. And so the policy that mom says, you know, she said it apologetically. I'm so sorry. Company policy prohibits me from showing property alone in a rural area. Where that fell a little short, though, is that he then he apologized and he put his wife on the phone and the wife said, oh, sorry to have caused you alarm. I'm going to be accompanying my husband. And, you know, so that, you know, that kind of built this scenario that there's going to be a third person. There's a woman. And, you know, we build. Sadly, you know, we can we build these, you know, kind of visions of what bad guys look like. You don't associate violent crimes with women and with married couples. You just don't think that everybody's out there like Bonnie and Clyde. And so that policy was great in theory, but failed her there. You know, and so to counter that and there's been a big push since since we lost mom about, you know, knowing before we go meet these these people, you know, that we've you know, they're varied practices that I've seen across the nation. But to know that we are. We know exactly who we're talking with. We vetted, you know, them. And then, you know, another thing that mom did right is that before she went into that property, she went in before he got there. And so, you know, some things can maybe be assumed that she, you know, scouted out the property. She, you know, checked those escape routes, you know, potentially. But one thing we know for sure that she did is she left that purse in the car and she locked it up. And ultimately, that's really what soured the whole thing. It's why they weren't able to collect a ransom. And I go into that in, you know, pretty good detail in the, the presentations because it all kind of was contingent upon having mom's credit cards and, and uh, her financial info that would have been in her purse. When the bad guy approached the house that day, he was alone. And, you know, and maybe this is the biggest lesson of all, as simple as it you know, sounds Tucker had said earlier when he gave a tip and he said, you know, it's not rocket science. And I think that that kind of the trap about talking about safety sometimes, because it's like, oh, it's so basic. Let's just move on to something else. You know, we get it, but we just get sloppy sometimes. So the bad guy shows up that day. The husband of the two shows up and he's alone. And 
you know, no doubt in my mind, my mom met him at the door with a big smile, but she had that sinking feeling in her gut. There's just no way she didn't, you know, oh man, we had the agreement. Your wife's going to be here. You're alone. This doesn't feel right. And as he was approaching her, he said, you know, I'm so sorry. My wife couldn't be here, but if you'll just text and send her photos as we go through the property, then um, it'll be like she was here. And that was a huge, huge mistake, of course. And so, you know, going back to that basic yet so important point of trusting your instinct, following the gut, something doesn't feel right. You know, there, <laughs> you know, I've heard enough of people say all over, it's like if they're a serious buyer, they'll understand and you can work your way through it and get back to them. But, um, you know, if it doesn't feel right, get out of there. I think you make a good point, Carl, in terms of, you know, I wasn't trying to downplay the importance of safety at all by saying it's not rocket science, but I think you make a great point in terms of people can get lax about it, right? Because you feel like it's so simple that, you know, it's all right, whatever, you know, but it's, it really is important. I mean, just to clarify for myself too. So was the husband and wife were in on it together? Was that, they were, they, were yeah, they, they planned it out and uh, the plan was for him to actually, you know, to kidnap mom. And then that they were, they would work together once they got mom. And gotcha. uh, so they, Carl, it, did your mom know their real names? So they used their real first names. They changed their last names. Well, I say that she knew the wife's first name. It's not funny, but it is. But, you know, this the husband, Jack Wagon, he had been evidently teased a lot about looking like the that guy, Steve-O. And so whenever he approached mom, it was, you know, that it was Steve and Crystal, you know, kind of a play. And it was all, it was just all a big joke to them. Something that they thought that they were going to be able to get easy, easy money from this super rich lady. So, because you, and, and the reason I asked that is because you said she'd been working with them for a few couple weeks. So she, they had shown, she had shown them other homes. She, well, she, this was the first time that she had actually planned to show them an actual property. There are just okay. been a number of uh, telephone calls and text and emails. And, you know, all the while they had this fictitious, you know, this made up email address. They were using an app that masked their true phone number, which is another huge concern. You know, we were lucky and I, I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but the bad guys in this case were really, really stupid. And they used that app, which was called Text Me, was based in the United States, and investigators and the cell phone companies were able to easily trace. But the investigators told us, they said, you know, in, in the cases where those apps that mask these phone numbers, and then up until mom, I'd already always joked that those types of apps were the crazy ex-girlfriend app. And it's like, why would anybody ever need to mask their phone number? But typically those apps are based out of the United States and would never be traced. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and you know, just came to mind was another thing that mom did right. And as she was working with those, this couple, she kept a paper, you know, just a a notebook. And she always, you know, she'd kind of have a a client page. And so she'd be like, you know, this is the couple I'm working with. Here's some basic contact information. And here are the MLSs they're interested in showing. That notebook was one of the most critical pieces of evidence in the trial this January in convicting them. That's, yeah, that, that's a really good tip, actually. I mean, not only in terms of business organization, but that was the log of contact essentially with them, which, you know, then paints a, a complete picture of what, you know, this relationship was. Absolutely. Carl, had they said that they were going to be cash buyers or did she ask about financing or do you know that? She had asked about financing and they did tell her that they were moving in from another state and they were cash. Okay. Yeah. And I think that usually will be the MO. And, I, and the reason for that is, and I have a suggestion in that regard. 
The reason for that is, is if they say, oh yeah, we're pre-approved, that adds a whole new layer of protection for the realtor because then they say, okay, who, let me call them. And the likelihood that somebody would have really gone through that, well, first of all, they open themselves up to exposure because if they have W-2s and pay stubs and identification sent to a lender, they, it's now clearly obvious who they are. Second of all, even if that wasn't the case, just for somebody to jump through those hoops is a huge hurdle. So I think oftentimes a red flag to realtors when they are you know, working with a buyer and that wants to meet them at a property is they will say that they are cash. And here's what I will tell realtors out there. Send me the proof. Send me that statement because now you're putting up another hurdle. The way I always explain this, we do this on our team. We do it for safety, but we also do it because we don't want to spin our tires and, and waste time with a buyer that isn't legitimately qualified. So what we'll often do is we'll say, look, the listing agent is requesting proof of ability to purchase. Oftentimes that's in the form of a pre-approval letter since you are paying cash. All you need to do is send me a bank statement. So there is there is a good takeaway for people because for one thing, as you start to ask those questions, I think one, you're, you're, sniff, you're going a little deeper with your sniff test in the sense that if they start to get squirrely, A, they might cut bait and go, oh, no, let me go find you know, an easier target. This person has put up a little bit of resistance and, uh, you know, they, they, they know what they're talking about. B, as you get them talking more about how they're going to buy and, and where's that cash coming from, you're giving yourself a little bit longer time on the phone to, do, to, to get that gut feeling out there. So interesting that that was the case, though. Great tip, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Carl, did your mom... Because I think this is another thing that our listeners and, and realtors in general wonder about. Did she employ any type of defense? You know, I don't want to say weapons, but mace. I, I know one of my, a couple. One of my agents has bear spray. She just the other day was telling me, you know, she was in an open house and one guy, you know, kind of made her uncomfortable. She went towards her purse to to get the bear spray. And she, it ended up being an innocent situation, but you know, she brought that up. Did your mom have anything like that? She did, but she did like so many people do. She had a pepper spray that was in the bottom of her purse that was locked in her car. Gotcha. That's where so, the car com comment came from. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it just, you know, she she was just left her own, you know, devices. And, you know, as she she had nothing but a cell phone in hand. And in that property, when they were they got up on the, the second floor of that property, and as she, and this is from his own words, you know, he says, as she turned from taking a picture... I told her she was about to have a very bad day and he had a roll of duct tape that he pulled out and a taser and it was done. It was over. Yeah. As you've traveled the country and you've talked to other realtors, what safety mechanisms do they do they recommend? And I know you're going to talk about this on Friday and that's going to be, you know, we can only go so far in that. But I know there's some apps on phones that, you know, you can push a button and all of a sudden it sends an alarm. You have to be careful in these rural situations because you may not have, have cell service always. So you have to be careful banking on that. But what, what do you hear are some of the best practices, Carl? You know, some of these may be things that people have already heard a million times, and there may be varied opinions. But in my mom's case, in my opinion, there was zero reason for her to go upstairs. And so, you know, you hear that oftentimes that you don't have to be with them, especially in a vacant property. It's not like you're going, you're being the caretaker to make sure that they're not going and, you know, lifting items, as is told so often. So, Never go upstairs. Never go in the basement. Never go in before them. So often we, I hear stories of these these ladies out there that you know they they weren't they had a quick moment you know you know lapse of judgment and they've walked ahead of 
you know, some guy that, that ultimately, you know, made them feel uncomfortable. And then the next piece is all about that preparation piece, Steve. And you had kind of you you hit on that a bit. And it's something that I caution people on. It's interesting to, to see across the nation the uh, the varied opinions on concealed carry and on the pepper sprays, because, you know, we can all say, yeah, if you want a pepper spray, but 99 percent of your customers are going to be very good people. And if you've got your finger on the trigger, that's just going to be a little on the awkward side. Or, you know, you hear of other tools like, you know, that that some some companies will put on a self-defense class. Amazing. It's a great, great opportunity to learn a few tricks. But, you know, just because you learn maybe how to, you know, to disable someone or, you know, punch them in the throat or whatever. If you're in, you know, you're six months later in a situation where you are having, you know, someone, you know, punches you in the face, it's unlikely that that's going to be of a lot of benefit. So I think we just have to be really mindful that we want to cast the net as far as we can. We want to employ as many tools as we can. I think that there are some of those, to your point about the, the smartphone apps, some of them are amazing. But to your point about rural area, that could be awful. The bad guy smashes your phone. It's over. So, And really what I'm doing now is making the point of when we get to talking about safety, it can get very granular <laughs> and therefore really hard. You can lose an audience really quick because it's like, okay, well, self-defense. And, you know, going and scouting, having my situational awareness, knowing exactly where my exits are, you know, it, it can become a challenge if you don't have very focused conversations and short conversations because people will get, you know, bored with it quickly. Yeah, I think it, you know, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think you're kind of getting to the point that it, it becomes a self-awareness game, right? I mean, that's oh, essentially cool. what it what it is. I mean, I had a situation me and, you know, guys in my office, we've cleared a lot of houses that were vacant and potentially had threats in them over the years. So we've, you know, we're, it's not a fun thing to do, but we've be gotten pretty adept at doing it. But we went to one, one time where that had a female attorney that was, uh, it was a probate attorney situation where the uh, person that owned the home had passed away. They had multiple heirs that were, you know, pretty heavy drug addicts and had some less than, you know, lovely friends that associated with them as well. And they decided to use this particular house as a flop house. And the female attorney, we couldn't get in the front door. So she went down the side stairs to the basement and myself and Chris, you know, obviously we've been to a lot of homes like this and, and we noticed that the door was barricaded shut from the inside, which basically and, you know, peeking through the window, we saw a lot of flop mattresses and things like that. And we, you know. And she's down there. She's trying to wrench on this door to get it open. And we had to say, hey, 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 why don't we not? We don't need to see the basement that bad, you know. And, and so we left the house. At that point, we had determined that it was probably occupied. There were probably people in there. And she's wrenching on this basement door to try and get it open, barricaded from the inside. You know, there's just situations where you need to be aware and you need to say, you know what? It probably isn't worth seeing the house today, right? You know, that's something that I think people need to at least have the ability to decide on the fly. Absolutely agree. I loved you. And I loved what you said about company policy, Carl, because because I, I get it. And we, we kind of do that same thing basically with the bank statement. Hey, you know, in order to show you this home, we, we need to see the bank statement. It's a company policy. You can make anything a company policy is, is what you said. And so when when your gut instinct starts to your, your antennas start to go up, make a company policy up, you know, make that company policy up is another hurdle, whether it's a hurdle that keeps them on the phone longer so that you can start to vet them further and, and do a little bit further of a sniff test, or if it's a hurdle that forces them to play a hand or a card that validates that they're real. The real ones, especially if you say it's a company policy, the great thing about company policy is you're not the bad guy, your company behind you is. 
you know, the client's not going to run away from you because the company, you know, has a policy in place. So I really, really love that. We're going to let you get going here, Carl, but any closing words before I uh, let all of our listeners know exactly where they can see the full version of this in person here in town this coming Friday? As I've had these these opportunities to, to try to make some good come from this, I just continue to meet such great people and to, to see that there are there is such a need and there are so many people out there that that really have you know found themselves in um, you know uncomfortable spots. And while I'll, I would never want to be considered kind of that person that's out there trying to make people paranoid, I, I can't thank you guys enough for, for giving me the, a platform to, to try to raise a little awareness because, you know, even though I may not know any realtors personally in the Portland area, they're definitely in my mind and on my heart. So thank you guys very much. Thank you so much for being on, on the show with us here, Carl. So let our listeners know, and we are going to post this in the show notes, but Carl is going to be here in Portland on Friday, September 23rd. His lawyer title has been kind enough to fly him out and put him up for the night the day before. There's going to be an east side presentation and a west side presentation. The east side presentation is in the morning. It starts at 10 a.m. It's in Clackamas. It's at Clackamas Banquet and Catering, which is on 82nd Drive. We'll put in the show notes so that you guys have the exact address. That is at 10 a.m. It's till noon. These are CE credit hours, two CE credit hours. So that's of added benefit to the agents that go. And then in the afternoon, the West Side presentation is, again, this Friday, September 23rd. It's at 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. That is here on Meadows Road. It's in the 5300 building, the Oaks Meadow Conference Room. We expect there to be a very, very large attendance. So we ask that you RSVP. We'll have some links out there. I'm also going to reach out to Joe Fostolo and see if we can get this on the master's group as well. But I would be very surprised if we don't have very, very packed rooms for this excellent presentation. Carl's got a lot more good stuff to share. We just wanted to give everybody a, a quick snippet and snapshot here on this show today. Yeah, well, thanks, Carl. We, we appreciate it. I think we talked about some really important stuff and, you know, we didn't want to give it all away, but I think we definitely touched on some some really important topics and uh, I'm sure our listeners will uh, thoroughly enjoy it. So that wraps up episode 50, guys. We will see you guys next week and Carl will see those of you that show up this Friday. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.